Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom of Faith. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Hello, this is Leslie Giss, and you're listening to the, the Gist of Freedom at www Black History Blog and on iTunes www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. Thanks, Sylvia. Are you on the line? Yeah, yes. Hello, this is Sylvia and Doran. Oh, how are you? Good. Okay. Good. 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 Oh, you know, it's a very rainy night, and um, you know, so it's a great day to do a show. And this is a special edition. This is a Friday show. Um, normally, uh, we uh, broadcast on Tuesdays and Thursdays, or Thursdays and Sundays. But I'm um, I'm happy to have you on. Could you just introduce yourself to the audience, please? Sure. My name is Sylvia Hooper. I'm the Assistant Director of Foster Parent Advocacy Foundation Inc. Okay. And hi, I'm um, John, and I'm, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. So I thought you said two names. Yourself. I wasn't. I, I wasn't sure if you did say two. Two people on the line. Yes, I'm sorry. Jordan was here too. Okay. Okay. Uh, please introduce yourself. Oh, hello. My name is Doran. I'm the founder and executive director of Foster Parent Advocacy Foundation Inc. Okay. Are these two separate organizations? No, it's the same one organization. Okay, it's one organization. All right. Uh, let's start off with the website and the contact information of the organization. Sure. Our website is www.spafoundation.org, and our phone number is 646-402-6133. Excellent. Tell us more about your organization and um, what do you want people to do once they uh, stop listening to this show? What would be your dream come true? Sure. Well, thank you for this opportunity. Um, so we are two radical social workers. We are activists, and we are trying to reform the child welfare system. Um, our campaign right now is Foster Care Reform, enacting the Foster Parent Bill of Rights. Um, our mission is to advocate for both foster parents and foster youth. So our advocacy consists of court advocacy, um, school advocacy, going with our clients through the agency, assisting them when they have OSI investigations, meaning they have false allegations that have been made against them, and we work to help them clear their name and have their cases amended and overturned. Um, you know, we are uh, two social workers that started this organization back in 2005, and the premise in starting it was the fact that we worked at a foster care agency, and we really witnessed the corruption and the injustices that were happening in one of our Harlem foster care agencies. And, um, you know, this this type of disservice to foster parents and youth, um, this mistreatment, the disservice to our foster youth becoming homeless, going straight from the foster care system to the criminal system, it's happening not only within New York City but also nationwide. So we not only give a voice to the parents within New York City but also um, to the foster parents and youth nationwide. So what we would want people to do is become aware of the uh, issues that are facing foster parents and youth today, become aware that the pretty picture that ACS wants to paint that we have so many success stories and so many foster parents and youth that are satisfied with the services, that this is really an untruth and that we really need to focus on the elephant in the room, which is um, the advocacy that needs to happen. Um, there's advocates within the agencies, which can only do but so much. And um, I think that a lot of people in the community are more aware than people would like to admit 
of the uh, daily, um, you know, kind of sad stories, the um, failures that we've done to the youth and the forced parents. I think people are more aware than they would like to admit, but people need to start taking action and do something about that. So the action that people can take consists of um, uh, helping us with our petition for our forced parent bill of rights, um, joining our movement. We need volunteers. We're looking for social workers. We're looking for attorneys that have um, experience with administrative law, family law, administrative hearings. Um, we're looking for people in the community that just want to get involved with our cause and help to support foster parents and youth and help to get the word out. And, of course, we're looking for more foster parents and more youth. We need to be able to give a voice to um, the youth and the parents, and they need to feel supported and they need to feel like they're a part of this change. So that's the movement that we're um, that we're taking on right now is really, you know, protesting these agencies, exposing the injustices, and really bring bringing to light to the community what the um, issues are. Okay, and the same question uh, is posed to you, too, as well. You're saying the same question is posed to you? Oh, well, you summed it up. <laughs> oh, okay, so you would you would want the people to do exactly what um, Sylvia just said. And, yes, and if you can prioritize them, go ahead. Yeah, really we just want people to join our national movement to bring awareness about what's happening inside the foster care system because the majority of kids in the foster care system is African-American and Latino children, and a lot of these kids are falling through the cracks because they're not getting the services from the foster care agencies, and there's no accountability at the end of the day for the foster care agencies. ACS is not holding them accountable. No one at the end of the day is holding the agencies accountable. Nobody's holding ACS accountable. And all of these foster youth are having um, a lot of issues. They're not getting the services at the end of the day. And all of these issues are being swept under the rug. Okay. I know you mentioned um, petitions. Is there a, a website or a place where we can report or uh, write to someone and say right now that we are dissatisfied with what's going on and we are you know, supporting you 100%, is there a senator or some office that we can all, that all of yeah, us are sure. listening? Mm -hmm. Sure, absolutely. I mean, what we have our false parents and what we ask people in the community to do is write to your local representatives, um, whether it be the state level, um, assemblymen, um, uh, you know, we really ask and we really need people to write saying that I'm a representative of the community, I've witnessed such injustice, or I'm aware of it, and, you know, kind of really putting pressure on the people that are supposed to be representing our needs and representing our constituents, and that we need these representatives to support this organization and support the movement that we're making. Now, do you have a political ally? I know that um, Eric Adams is very popular in New York. Is there someone that you can say, and give thanks to right now, and uh, you know, let absolutely. Audience know. Um, what, one of our biggest supporters is um, Councilmember Annabelle Palmer. So that's um, the councilman that's actually working with us to enact mm -hmm. this Force Parent Bill of Rights. Okay, and let's go into depth about what you are doing with the councilwoman. So, well, as I said, right now we're working on enacting the Force Parent Bill of Rights. So we're putting into law actual guidelines that the agencies would have to follow um, to protect both the forced parents and the youth. Um, right now it exists in 16 other states. I really am um, overwhelmingly surprised that no other group has stepped up and tried to enact a Bill of Rights for forced parents um, because there are certain guidelines uh, that would protect foster parents and as well as the youth and certain laws that need to be followed that have not been followed. And because people are not aware of certain documents and um, state laws, they don't know what to expect and what to anticipate from the agencies and what they should be requiring. So that's why we really feel compelled and very strongly that this needs to be put into law. Okay, so and if we visit your... 
Okay, we visit your website. Would you have yes. um, a place on this website that talks about the Bill of Rights, and is there a Facebook um, page and any other social media that people can go to right now while they're listening to you talk sure, about? they can go to our website. All of our information is on our website. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. All they have to do is just, you know, type in Force the Parent Advocacy Foundation, and they will definitely find us. They can Google us. Yeah, we're very accessible. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And um, mediators, I just took a lot of notes while you were talking. Now, you mentioned you were looking for lawyers. Um, that may intimidate most people that really want to get involved. Is there a way that um, the everyday person could just become an advocate like yourself and uh, take a course and and become an advocate, like I know there's such things as mediator courses and certifications. Yeah, of course. I mean, I definitely did also state that we're looking for um, people in the community that are willing to help, but we do need mm -hmm. attorneys to represent forced parents at their hearing. So that's why it's important mm -hmm. that we're kind of crying out for help for attorneys that have an interest in family law and the foster care system and administrative law. But certainly we're looking for, you know, a troop of volunteers um, that we can train and bring on uh, to go into meetings with foster parents to help them with clearing their names, to provide educational workshops. That's another part of the work that we do. We provide educational workshops to teach foster parents and youth about what their rights are and what to expect. We go over the foster parent manual, the um, rights for youth, um, in foster care. So certainly we would want people to help us, you know, um, to provide that type of advocacy, to help us um, plan protest rallies, community events, um, you know, tabling in the community so that people can learn more about the issues that our clientele are facing. So we're looking for anyone and, er and everyone that is interested in this cause. Now, now you mentioned injustices as well. What is one of the most profound or the most egregious injustices that you witnessed um, throughout your whole career? You said, I'm sorry, say that again, please. And you mentioned injustices as one of the things that you're, um, you know, you're, you're fighting um, to represent a list of injustices. Is there one in particular that you have been uh, fighting for almost in your entire career? Um, well, definitely the fact that foster parents are placed onto the child abuse registry for 28 years as a result of having a false allegation placed on them. That's something that um, we really feel compelled that that needs to change. Um, you know, a foster parent can make a mistake. Uh, they've cared for, you know, unseen amount of children in their home, recruited foster parents, have been foster parents for 20, 25 years, 40 years, and then, you know, someone can call in um, a false allegation against you. Um, ACS finds you guilty of this. They haven't proven the guilt, but they assume your guilt, and so as a result, you're then placed onto a registry, um, on the child abuse registry for 28 years, such as that of a, of a pedophile. And so we really um, feel that that is not fair, that's not a fair judgment, and that something else needs to be done in, in place of that, such as an action plan, giving the force plan more training and so forth. But one particular case that really stands out to us um, right now and is, is on our forefront is the case of a force parent by the name of Sandra Breaker who has two of her nephews and is really trying to um, fight for um, the other nephew to be placed in her home. I'm sorry, I apologize, Tracy Breaker. Um, so she's trying to fight for her for her nephew who's placed into a non-kinship home. She's been fighting for years, and the agency is really trying to overlook her and is really not trying to give her her due process. As a relative, you're supposed to be given first preference, and the child is supposed to be placed into your home. And, um, you know, we're very fearful that this child is going to be adopted by a non-kinship um, foster parent, and that's not to say anything against that particular parent, but when in a case as this where you have um, a family member that is a viable option, we're just trying to, you know, 
really get explanation as to why she's not being explored, as to why this child has not been placed with her and why, um, you know, certain rights have not been afforded to her, which they should be. It seems like there's more of a risk and a chance of you becoming a criminal or being criminalized um, if you become a foster parent than it is for the actual abusers. Exactly, exactly. And this is what people are not aware of. You know, a lot of people become foster parents, you know, um, out of the kindness of their heart for altruistic reasons, and they're not really aware of the risks that come come along with it and the scrutiny that is involved and the time and, you know, the standards that you have to adhere to. People are really not anticipating that. They think that they're just going to, you know, raise children and, you know, provide them with better opportunities and and that's and that's great, yes. Um, that's wonderful and that's ideal, but there's a lot more that goes into it and it's very different from raising your own biological children. Right, right. Wow. Um also have here I can't even read my own hand right and I'm sorry. Um, complaints. If um, if someone is a foster parent right now and they're listening to you for the first time and they never heard of an advocacy group like yours, what should they do? Can they call up anonymously? Um, you know, how would you go about helping them? What would you recommend? They they should just call us. Call us, come in for an intake appointment. We're not going to be anonymous. You know, once they become a member of our organization, our advocacy, our advocacy consists of us reaching out to that organization on their behalf, and it also requires, you know, their participation in our protest rallies, participation in our video testimonies, being placed on our website, sharing their story, because, you know, we can no longer allow forced parents to feel isolated, and as though... Um, you know, it's just their particular agency. It's just Mercy First or Children's Village or, um, you know, Lincoln Watts. We really have to allow forced parents to understand that it's not just Bronx or Brooklyn. It's the five boroughs. And ACS wants for, not only ACS, but the agencies want for you to feel as though it's only you, you know, when you're the problem when you start speaking out or uh, questioning things or asking why certain things aren't happening the way that they're supposed to, then you become blackballed, and then they want to, you know, not refer you to be able to transfer to another agency. They want to close your home down. Um, You know, they want to put do not recommend, and then that really puts a fourth friend in a very vulnerable position. And so once, um, you know, someone hears about us, we would hope that they would call and join and become a member and not just wait until they have an issue with their agency. Mm-hmm. But you should want to become informed and be knowledgeable about what your rights are as a force parent. Want to join a group of other force parents, kind of like a union. You know, you join, you get support, um, and, you know, each one teaches one. So that that's kind of the vibe that we want to for, we want for members to have when they become a member with us. Are you able to recruit new foster parents? So Do you have not, a mechanism um, in place? We, we're we not an agency, so agencies really deal with, um, you know, the selection process of foster parents and um, training them, making um, sure that they're MAP certified and so forth, but what we can do is refer them if they would like to a particular agency in their community, but then they should quickly join our organization again so that they know exactly what the expectations are and that they're already equipped with the knowledge and the tools and the skills to be a better informed force parent. And that's really what it's about. Um, you know, in order to navigate this system, you have to be knowledgeable and well-informed about what your rights are so that people can pull a wool over your head. Okay. And could you uh, go back in time and help us understand why the government would uh, be such a deterrent uh, and obstructionist as far as uh, keeping good foster parents out of the system? Tell us a little bit about the history of, I think you call it ACS. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in terms of recruitment, um, the agencies and ACS have really tried to recruit people that are really going to be dependent upon the board checks. And and I'm going to be quite honest. You know, when they 
talk about, you know, needing more foster parents, uh, recruiting people from the community. They do advertise. It's, hey, you're going to get paid. You're going to get a check in the mail. And so a lot of people that um, are going to be dependent on that check generally usually sign up to become a foster parent, knowing that there's monetary benefits. And I'm not, mm-hmm. not and that's not to say that there's a majority of um, foster parents that are doing it for the right reasons, because their nephew is in foster care or their grandchild or their, you know, their nephew or whatever. Um, but there are some people that are not doing it for the right reasons. And, you know, those aren't the type of people that we want to advocate for. But certainly, you know, people that are educated, people that are social workers, people that know this system, that know the ins and outs, those are really not the type of people that they want as foster parents because they really don't want someone that's going to be challenging the system and challenging the agency. Um, you know, on May 10th, we just had um, an awareness event for um, to talk about the foster care issues, and we had a panel of foster parents and foster youth talk about their experiences within the system. And one particular foster parent was an employee of one of the agencies, and she said it, you know, quite clearly that when she worked in home finding, which is a a department that's responsible for the recruitment and training of foster parents, she was told, do not recruit any foster um, foster parents that, um, I'm sorry, individuals that are working within the educational system or that are social workers because we don't want those types of individuals. And it goes back to the fact that they don't want people that are challenging them and that are educated. And, you know, these are the types of individuals that we should want caring for our children that are very vulnerable uh, within this uh, foster care system because these are the types of individuals that are going to make sure that these kids get the very best of everything and that their opportunities are going to be accomplished while in the system. Well, that's no surprise. Um, and has, is the agency 100 years old? How old is this agency? How long has it been in existence? You know, I don't know exactly. Um, I know, you know, before it was ACS, it was BCW. That was even before I was born. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I know it's been around for a very long time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but the challenges that forced parents ha- are facing have um, increasingly grown, and mm-hmm. uh, the ignorance is still there because um, people are ignorant to the fact of, you know, what's really happening within the agencies. And they feel that, you know, force parents sometimes feel that, well, if I don't make a complaint or if I be quiet, if I comply with what they ask of me, they'll place more children in my home or I'll get the force parent of the year award. And, you know, you shouldn't want to settle for that. You should go into it advocating for both yourself and that child that's in your home. Wonderful. Now, the money, and I asked you that because I know that, historically speaking, it used to be purely charitable, a charitable act, you know, and and while you were talking, Mm -hmm. I was online trying to search the history of it, and I will after we get off um, the line and uh, do some research. But um, tell us about how the money has shifted and and how it's playing a a central role in, in this foster care and why is it beneficial? Sure. For, so you people know, are becoming you know. very savvy about, you know, the mm-hmm. foster care allotment checks. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you have a child that's in your home that has special needs, you're going to get double the amount. You might get 1700 for a child. Um, the younger the child is, the less you will receive. But if they have special needs, as I said, you'll get about double. So if you have a baby, you may get 300 if you have a 12-year-old that has bipolar or schizophrenia, ADHD, mm. you might get 1,200 teenagers. Can, can I just get in there before I forget? Um, let me just ask, and if you are a foster parent and you are in it for the money, um, could you have your, your foster child classified so that you can get an increase on this check for bipolar? Oh, bipolar? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we have foster parents that, call us all the time. You know, my my child is, um, you know, crying a lot or they're, um, you know, not doing their homework, they're not listening. Uh, I think they have some type of, you know, disorder or um, a mental health issue. And we're like, well, these are challenges that, you know, any child would give you. But, you know, for, for a lot of folks, they want to automatically classify this child because they know, 
with the classifications and the diagnoses that, you know, more money um, comes about. So, as I said, people Ugh. have become quite savvy about that. Now, what is the government, how does the government benefit from these children uh, being classified, uh, being used as uh, the golden cow, and being um, uh, really steered away from loving foster care parents. How does the government, you know, we, we, we did a film about slavery by another name, where slavery wasn't really um, abolished, but it was changed in, into a different form. Uh, with this um, foster care type of conspiracy what we're talking about here, we know why they want slavery to continue. Why would the government or some entity want these children to remain in this program, this orphan, uh, uh, foster care, in a state of orphanage? Sure. I mean, there's more money. The longer a child remains in foster care, the more money gets generated. So that's another reason why a lot of folks do not want to get involved in our mission in terms of advocating against the agencies, advocating against children remaining in foster care over a year. You know, there's children that grow up within the foster care system. They go in from birth and then they age out at 18 or 21. That is a, that is a shame. That is really sad. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the more, well, the longer the child lingers in care, the more money is generated. So everyone's hand is in the pot. So, you know, that that's why there's benefits for the agencies, for the government, because there's more federal funding. Okay. There you go. So the agency is going to benefit from this, right? Exactly. And if the, kid, if the child is... Um, it's classified, then you have that a whole different government agency that's involved that will be able to get a little piece of the pie, right? Exactly, yep. Mm -hmm. So you have a, a lot of different entities that have a reason to keep this cycle going because everyone is going to get paid. Exactly. You know, what? what's also I have to just speak to the fact that, um, you know, as Zoran had mentioned there's the majority of kids that are in foster care are African American and Hispanic. So about fifty two percent of the kids that are in foster care are African American. And so it's in our communities where the school personnel, the hospital personnel, people in the community are more preempted to call in cases. And so by that continuing continuum um continuing to happen the more of our kids are going to continue to revolve through the doors of the foster care system because we have so many people that are so, um, you know, uh, so kind of hell-bent on calling cases against our families that are impoverished, that are low-educated, low-income. Um, you know, we're really victimized by this system. And so, as you mentioned, it is another form of slavery. It's another form of control. And, um, you know, when our children act out, when they're, you know, when they're not adjusting as this system believes that they should within the foster care system, they're placed into um, residential treatment centers. And when they don't um, react well to that, then they're medicated. When they don't react well to that, then they're criminalized and they're placed into um, the prison system. So, you know, it, we, we shuffle from one, um, you know, um, from one, um, you know, um, kind of, uh, systematic um, unit to another, and it really, really is a disservice to our community. And that's why folks need to really become involved and become aware of what's going on because it's not only going to affect, um, you know, the people that are working within the system, but it's really a crisis, and it can affect your family anytime. You know, you, you never know what may happen. A mistake may happen. An allegation is called in. A child goes into forced care, and, you know, once they get placed into that system, it can be very difficult to have them removed out of there. Sylvia, could you just go through that um, one more time about how it's like a tree and full of branches, the different routes this child can take once he's in the system? That was very, you know, powerful how you explained that. Could you just... Go over it one more time. If they misbehave, they could go in this route, and then it leads to this, and then this. 
Sure, yeah. So, you know, when foster parents take in children, right, you know, I just went to a meeting today and the foster parent was complaining about her three teenagers and she was talking about the fact that they're not going to school, they're, you know, experimenting with drugs, they're dating. These are typical normal issues of children, regardless if they're biological, they're in foster care, they're institutionalized, you know, the the whole gamut. Kids are going to be kids and they're going to rebel and they're going to, you know, do things that are obnoxious that we're not going to like. That, that That's just the role of a child and of a teenager. But for kids that are in foster care, if you're not going to school, if you're truant, if you start experimenting with drugs or you don't want to talk to people, you isolate yourself. Um, you know, you're acting out because you're mad and you're angry about the fact that you're in this home that, you know, is of a stranger to you, that you're not with your mother and your father who you were, you know, birthed by and taken care of in the only home that you know that is comfortable to you. Regardless of whatever someone may have claimed, you still have love and admiration for that parent, and that will never be taken away. And a lot of um, professionals do not understand that. Even foster parents don't understand that um, connection and that bond between a mother and a child. And so once that child starts acting out, you know, they're going to therapy and they're talking about how they, they want to go back to the mom or they may run away and go to the parent's house for weekends. They AWOL because they have that innate need within them to be with their parent, to go back home. And so when people don't understand that, then they start classifying this child. Well, they have adjustment disorder. Now we have to institutionalize this child. You know, this child is reckless. This child is a danger to themselves, to others. And so, you know, once they start acting the part, now they go from being institutionalized in a residential treatment center, you know, we're going to medicate them. We're going to see if that works. If the medication doesn't work, then now they're, you know, going to be part of our criminal justice system because we just can't afford for this youth to go, you know, haywire on our community. And, you know, is this really the message that we are going to allow ourselves to continue to send out to these youths is that, you know, your home wasn't good enough, you're not good enough, um, and, you know, we're not going to be out here to support you and to advocate you and to show you the right way. And, you know, that that really is something that I will not allow. You know, I was someone that grew up in the foster care system. I'm, you know, what they would call a success story, but I don't really find myself to be successful just because I went through the foster care system and I got my education. You know, that shouldn't make me um, any different than someone that's my counterpart that didn't go through the system. But, you know, for people that have not lived through this or experienced this, you know, that's like, you know, um, really the cream of the crop. You know, for you to have finished high school, to not be pregnant as a teenager or to actually go to college and, you know, have some vocabulary or to be articulate, you know, that's that that's gold, you know, and that that's really not the message that we should be sending our children that, if they don't reach a certain standard, then they're just not adequate because they're in the foster care system and they need to work twice as hard to prove themselves. You know, they didn't ask to be placed in this system. They didn't ask to be placed in this foster home, and they didn't ask to be scrutinized by adults that are supposed to be working to support them. Wow. That is uh, powerful. Um, you know, I, I'm very grateful to have met you. And I'm, you know, I'm enjoying listening to you. I'm learning so much. It's very, um, you know, we can hear your passion. Um, but before we move on, the residential, you, men- you mentioned the residential home or institution. Yeah. That only, the, the child will only go there after it doesn't work out with a foster home? Well, you know, sometimes if a child is placed into foster care and there's some, Difficulties, they feel like the child requires a higher level of care. Let's say if um, the child is accused of, um, of you no know, sexually abusing another child or let's say the child has um, physically um, attacked someone, you know, they feel that this child is a danger to themselves or others, then they will be placed directly into a residential treatment center or um, they might be placed into a foster home initially, and then the foster parent will put in their 10-day notice, ask for the child to be removed, state that, you know, they're not equipped to handle this child, that the child needs a higher level of care, 
the child will then be evaluated, and then they might um, they may make the decision to have that child placed into the residential treatment center. So it could happen either way. And that's like a prison, a juvenile detention center. It is. It is. You know, it's um, the same thing. I'm sorry. Is it the same thing? No, it's not the same thing. Um, But what usually happens typically is that uh, the child's behavior actually increases in a negative way once being placed into uh, the residential treatment center. So the residential treatment centers have the school, um, you know, they can visit with their parents on the weekends, they can go back home and and visit and whatnot, the therapy is done there, so... It's not the juvenile justice system. They haven't been um, accused of any crime, but the fact of the matter mm-hmm. is that their behavior requires them to be in a setting where it's more um, uh, restrictive. Okay, okay. Now, I I heard on Michael Bazin's show a few years ago that 80% of the foster care children are usually um, go straight into the prison system? Yeah. Yep, yep. yep. Yeah, and, that, and that's exactly what I was speaking to before is that it's, it's really a setup, a setup for failure. And there's a lot of former forced youth that have been within the criminal justice system um, and that have also been homeless. So that's something else that people do not want to acknowledge. One of our forced youth now, um, he's on the verge of aging out. If we did not speak up for him and advocate for him, he was going to have to go into a shelter. And, you know, uh, the day that he was actually supposed to age out, the fourth parent said, I'm not going to allow him to stay in my home anymore because I'm not going to get any money. We contacted the agency on his behalf. They said, well, there's nothing that we can do about it. The law guarding was in an uproar because we said, well, since nobody's planning appropriately for this child and since no one gives a damn what happens to this kid at the end of the day, we're going to take him to a shelter to at least ensure that he has someone to lay his head at night and he's not out on the street. And so once we did that and we sent that message out that, you know, you guys are aging him out to homelessness and we have to take him to a shelter as a result, the move started turning, the wheels started turning. And so as a result, he had he was given an opportunity to remain back in forced care and they put an exception of policy in place for him. But, you know, it, it's just funny how if that hadn't been done, then what would have happened? Then we would have just allowed this youth to be another one of our um, homeless youth that are out on the streets right now. So you and call it, it is aging out. I'm sorry. Ahead. Um, it is against, let, let me just say ahead. this one piece. It, mm-hmm. it is against the law also for youth to age out and to be homeless. And so if any youth are out there right now that are on the verge of aging out, and the agency has not planned for you. You can't sue them. You can't. You can't have a lawsuit placed against the agency because the agency and ACS are quote unquote your parents. They have taken the parental role because they have um, stated that your family is not the viable option for you. That they are not adequate as parents to care for you, but that ACS and the agency is. And so, if they don't do what they're supposed to, you can file a lawsuit. And they should contact us if that is the issue that they're having with their agency. Wow. Okay, so you said aged out to homelessness. Yep. And it sounds like this is a common practice. It is, more than people want to admit. And and we're asking you as well. Um, that she's also 21. She was in foster care. She was adopted. The adoptive mother threw her out knowing that she had absolutely nowhere to turn. Um, you know, so now she is in a shelter. She's working now. But, you know, th- this is just another example of our youth either being homeless or having to go into shelters because they're forced to do that. They have nowhere else to turn. And you can't go back to the agency and say, hey, I'm out on the streets. I need help. I don't have anywhere to turn. They've closed the case. Your file is off somewhere in Poughkeepsie somewhere. And, you know, they're they're not reopening it for services, for assistance, for support. That's it. There's no turning back. So that's why we're really trying to grab hold of youth and parents while they're in these agencies and before issues come up and arise so that we can prevent them from happening. Okay. Now, for people that are listening, like you said, the altruistic people that want to get involved with the foster care system, 
is there a way that they can um, uh, attain a, a foster child without going through the system as far as um, receiving any monetary benefits? And no, unfortunately, you know, no, no. There is not a way to do that um, unless they were to go by um, route of doing an international adoption. But no. In order to obtain a child within New York City, New York City foster care system, they have to become a foster parent. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that's one of the reasons? Because of this, you know, it seems like this is a failure. What we have here now is why people go to the international adoption. Well, I think that you know a lot of the kids within the system. There's a negative stigma. You know, once you're. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, under the name of a foster youth and foster care, then you're just shunned upon and you're, you know, you looked at as you're a bad kid, you know, you're going to be a handful and people don't want to deal with you. And that's why a lot of people say, you know, I want a younger child because I can still teach them and develop them. And, you know, teenagers need love too. They need love, they need support, they need a home. So that's not necessarily the case. So some people do not want to become foster parents because they think that the children within foster care are the worst children. Two, um, some people feel that there's a risk involved, which there is, you know, um, in terms of, as I was speaking about before, having a false allegation called against you. Because if that happens, you can no longer work in the field. If you're a social worker or an educator, you can no longer work with children. Your home is closed. You can no longer be a fourth parent if that is the case. So, you know, I think that um, there's also miseducation in terms of people not being aware that there is a need for more forced parents, but people need to educate themselves first before becoming a forced parent. And, and as I said, join our organization. If you do want to become a forced parent, you can join us, and we will certainly teach you what your rights are and make sure that the agency is treating you um, fairly and with respect, as, and, and that's, you know, as they should, as they deserve. Mm-hmm. Now, I met some ladies, and may have been you, a few years ago at a, at a school in Harlem event, and they had a, uh, an advocacy table, and they said that they had a new program for foster parents to have the children come over the weekend until this was like a gradual foster care um, entry into the system. Are you familiar with no, I've never heard of anything like that. The only thing I can think of is respite care. So respite is when the child stays for you maybe for a weekend, one or two weeks. Um, there's no long-term placements in your home. So that's the only um, situation where I could think of that's close to that description. But other than that, um, you know, once you become a fourth parent and you stipulate the age range that you want, the gender you want, um, how many children are um, fit to be in your home as per the accommodations in your house. Um, once you what, once that is settled and once that's stipulated, then, you know, the agency starts placing children into your home. Okay. Could you explain that that, uh, organiz- that, that program that I was trying to explain? Could you go back over that, how that works? Yeah, so that's respite care. So if you um, are already How do you certified spell as a foster parent, I'm sorry? How do you spell the care? R E S P R R E S P I T E. Okay. Go ahead. So, yeah, so once, as I was saying, once you become a fourth parent, um, you know, you can uh, inform the agency that you would like to be a respite parent. So you would not have long-term placements in your home. You would only have temporary placements. So temporary could be overnight, two days, one week, two weeks, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the big brother or big sister? Does that have a role in respite care? Or in, in, no, in no. No, okay. there's no correlation between the two. Okay. And last question about the logistics. As far as the... Um, private agencies versus public. I know you said that you have to go through the New York City, but, you know, I know that some, um, when I read years ago, there's some uh, churches and different private organizations, maybe like the Jewish um, 
there's one um, a place, I can't remember, it sounds like the YWCA, but it's a Jewish um, organization, and they work with uh, uh, AIDS out, uh, foster care children. What can you tell me about uh, various organizations that may be under the umbrella of the ACS? Well, the agencies um, don't necessarily work with AIDS.Youth. They basically mm-hmm. work to, you know, get them set up to sign themselves out of force care to age out. But there's actually not a lot of resources available for youth once they age out. And that's why it's really important that before that mm-hmm. youth signs that paper saying that they want to discharge themselves and age out of force care, that all the services are put into place. I don't know if the agency that you're referring to is uh, JCCA, um, perhaps, but that's one of the um, contracted foster care agencies. So they're not doing anything new or innovative for um, youth aging out of foster care. Okay. They're a uh, right. foster care agency just as, um, you know, as I mentioned before, Lincoln Watts or New York Foundling. They're all contracted foster care agencies under ACS, and they have children that are in foster care, and certainly they have um, the process of children aging out of foster care, but there are not a lot of resources for kids once they age out. So that's why it's important for you to learn about what their rights are and what's afforded to them so that they know, you know, that before they sign that dotted line, they have their apartment. They, If they wanted to go to college, that they've applied, they've gone, they've gotten their um, scholarship money, their grant money, they've gotten their their um you know the money that's supported to them through the agency that you know they have their employment set up that you know that they have their apartment that they have these things put into place before they age out, and that's what's really important it sounds like you have a lot of work on your plate a lot, and I hope this show I'm gonna promote it and edit it, and I want you to come back on because um I think we need to keep as you said people aware of this. And I don't want to just have a show once a year, but I want to uh, talk about different aspects of what you said, um, you know, in more depth on a more frequent basis. Is that okay with you? Sure, absolutely. Yes, thank you for um, the opportunity. And also I just want to let the community know, too, um, we are a grassroots volunteer organization, so we don't get paid um, for the services that we provide, but... We do need funding. We do not want to have funding by, um, you know, ACS or the federal government. We want to remain autonomous. And um, so by with that, you know, we do need people in the community to support us, to donate. They can donate on our website. You know, they can can become a monthly uh, FCA supporter. Um, we really need people to help us to keep our, our, our vision alive and to help keep our doors open so that we continue to do the work that we're doing. Well, you have a friend in the gist of freedom, that's for sure. And are there any celebrity faces? You are one of them um, with your success story. And um, But are there any um, celebrity faces that have helped you out and that you can go to to help advocate on your behalf? No, you know, I would love to say that there are. There's, you know, a couple of them that I've reached out to that I've asked for help, and it's unfortunate, but, um, no, not at this time. No. Uh, if you don't mind, who did you talk to or reach out to? Maybe we can um, help you connect with them. Run-DMC. That's what I was thinking about, too. I know. One of the guys from Run DMC, uh, he was um, adopted himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I had reached out to him. I reached out to Jill Scott. Um, Jill Scott was adopted? No, but I, I, I just uh, ran into her and thought, you know, I could potentially, you know, just kind of get her to support our organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the, um, I think it, her name is Tammy, Tammy from um, Basketball Wives. I had reached out to her. You know, I, I, you know, just have tried to reach out to people that I thought would, um, you know, become interested in the work that we're doing and want to, you know, help and support our cause. But unfortunately, Daryl, uh, yes, Daryl McDaniel, mm-hmm. if that's his name. Um, 
So unfortunately, uh, he he hasn't supported our organization. I know that he supports um, one of the other foster care agencies, but I guess our cause didn't, um, you know, wasn't of interest to him. Is that a contracted agency? Yeah, he yes, he um, is supporting one of the contracted agencies. Oh. oh, okay. Maybe he has some allegiance to it because he went through it. Maybe that might be the reason. But um, we'll put it out there um, to see if we can get some some celebrities or someone to help help you out. Um, even oh, thank you, know, you. you mentioned you mentioned you want donations. Uh, again, please give all your information. Sure. So um, we need donations, we need volunteers, we want more foster parents and youth that are going to be willing to step up and uh, share their experiences and testimonies so they can reach us at 646-402-6133 or via our website at www.spafoundation.org. And we're speaking to... Uh, this your is Sylvia Hooper. Okay, and your partner's name? Uh, Doran Matthews. All right, Matthews. Okay, thank you, too, uh, for doing a great job. And you are scheduled to be on our panel. Um, it was canceled. It was scheduled for tomorrow. But you're going to be on the panel for the um, uh, Central Park 5 screening. Uh, hopefully sure. it will be at the Bass Center in Harlem or Washington Heights or at Miss Theaters. So, um, listeners, please look out for the newsletter, the blast, the Facebook, the tweets, that you will be able to meet Sylvia in person um, at the screening of the Central Park Five movie with Yusef Salam, which is one of the survivors of the uh, Jogger case, Central Park Five um Jogger incident. So again, thank you for uh, being a part of the show and we look forward to seeing you and having you back on. Well, thank you so much. We really, really, truly appreciate this opportunity and I look forward to meeting you in person. Wonderful. Have a good night. Okay, thank you. You as well. Have a blessed one.